to Device Week, a weekly podcast from MedTech Insight. I'm editor Reed Miller, and with me today is our UK-based reporter, Barnaby Pickering, and our San Diego-based editor, Marianne Webb. So I will start with Barnaby. So Barnaby, this week you published a story about a Scottish company, Pneumowave. What, what can you tell us about that? So like you said, Pneumowave is a Scottish company. Um, they're Glaswegian, to be precise. And it was established after its founders realised the extent of drug deaths due to opioids in Scotland. Many deaths attributed to opioids are caused by what's called respiratory depression. Um, the company's CEO, Bruce Henderson, explained that respiratory depression is a really simple consequence of opioids. Regions of the brain um, that control breathing are simply turned off, leading to death. In response to this, the company has manufactured a small body-worn sensor that records continuous information about the wearer's breathing patterns. This gathers information that could look for and predict opioid misuse, and also send an alarm if a patient enters a dangerous episode. This is major not only for preventing people becoming addicted to opioids, which happens often after being legally prescribed drugs for post-surgical pain, but also for preventing drug deaths. Opioid overdoses, if responded to quickly enough, can be reversed simply with medications such as naloxone. So getting early warning that overdoses occurring is vital for patient safety. Okay, and what about the company? How are they going to commercialize this? So Henderson explained that the commercial strategy would be to charge some money upfront for the sensors and then rely on periodic reimbursement for patient monitoring. According to him, codes already exist in the US which would allow for healthy levels of reimbursement. However, novel codes may be sought in the future as Pneumowave's technology delivers a lot more relative to other remote monitoring technologies. In terms of yearly revenue, Henderson said that the company expects revenues of between $500 and $1,500 per patient per year. Given there's over 3 million opioid addicts in the US alone, this evolves into a very healthy total addressable market for the company. Reimbursement is not all plain sailing, however. The company obtained breakthrough status for its technology last year, but thanks to issues surrounding the MCIT rule, which would have previously guaranteed reimbursement for breakthrough tech, getting funding may take a while longer. Okay, thanks for that, Barnaby. Yeah, we're hearing a lot about the MCIT rule. I think a lot of companies who have breakthrough status are disappointed that that hasn't happened, at least not yet. Okay, so Marion, uh, you covered the annual JP Morgan Healthcare Conference several times before on behalf of Medtech Insight when it was live in San Francisco. This year, of course, with the surge of the Omicron variant of COVID-19, all the presentations and se- sessions shifted to a virtual platform. Now, the good news for our readers is that the commercial team, uh, including you and me and Barnaby, provided uh, highlights from the presentations that were made by some of the major med tech companies in our daily roundup coverage. So Marion, what can you tell us about some of the highlights from your coverage? Sure, so I'm just going to highlight a few companies that we covered since we are limited on time here. One of the companies we wrote about is spine company Nuvasiv. So Nuvasiv CEO Christopher Berry was among several leaders who when asked about the impact of the Omicron variant on the company's business, said it's just too hard to predict how it will ultimately play out. He noted that the word Omicron wasn't even in their vocabulary last November when the spine surgery company set guidance for the fourth quarter. That said, Mr. Berry foresees significant opportunity ahead for the company's pulse system, which combines navigation, robotic capabilities, and software aimed to eventually track the entire cycle of surgery. That's from pre-surgical to inner operative to post-operative data. So 
the goal here is to guide surgeons through the entire operating room workflow and create efficiencies along the way. So the PAL system received the CE mark last June and FDA 510K clearance last July and had a very deliberate launch, as Barry put it, but is expected to see growth this year. More details on the company's financials will be available in February. Okay, so Zimmer Biomet's CEO also reported on some pandemic-related headwinds with its robotic-assisted platform. What did they have to say about that? Yes, Reed. So Zimmer Biomet dramatically shifted its R&D spending in the last few years with a focus on robotics and data. And they also entered some noteworthy partnerships with big tech companies like Apple, Microsoft, and also a software company called Canary Medical. So the company has been building out its line of surgical robotic systems, which now includes the Rosa Hip system, as the name suggests, for robotic-assisted total hip replacement. It also markets the Rosa Knee for total arthroplasty and Rosa Partial Hip for partial knee replacement and the Rosa One for neurosurgical and spine procedures. So the CEO, Brian Hansen, said during his presentation at the J.B. Morgan Healthcare Conference that the company will focus on the growing knee market, which he described as not being a great market from a growth standpoint, but a huge market. And of course, like we see with other major orthopedic companies, the collection and analysis of data will play an increasingly important role. And this is where Canary Medical comes in. So Zimmer Biomet and Canary Medical developed the first knee implant that uses sensor-based technologies to provide real-world post-surgical patient data, such as walking speed and steps. And Hansen expects this smart knee implant will really be a game changer in terms of providing meaningful insights to the surgeon and patient with all the data that's being collected. Okay, well, yeah, thanks. That will be very interesting to follow. And then you already wrote a story on Dexcom, which is a leading developer of continuous glucose monitoring systems to help patients with diabetes track their glucose levels and provide other insights. And you also had a chance to catch up with Dexcom CEO Kevin Sayer for an exec chat. What can you tell us about that interview? Yes, so Mr. Sayer confirmed during his presentation that the FDA submission for the company's next generation G7 continuous glucose monitoring system in the fourth quarter. And he reiterated that he doesn't foresee any issues in terms of getting approval for this uh, next generation device. He did, however, say that he expects that the review process may take longer than the typical 90 days. He also expects that the company will receive the CE mark, which it did not receive in the fourth quarter as they originally expected. And that, of course, once approved, will allow it to also market the G7 in Europe. So once the device receives FDA clearance, he told MedTech Inside the plan is to roll it out in the larger markets first. And then also in places where it has a direct presence, which includes Great Britain, Germany, Canada, and some other regions. He also said while the G7 is significantly smaller than the current G6 device and has a quicker warm-up time, it's still a 10-day sensor. There is an initiative for this year to develop a 15-day sensor in the future, so we could see ultimately a 10-day and a 15-day configuration. That's the goal. Yeah, uh, thanks a lot for that, Marian. Um, there's a lot more to be heard from your interview with Kevin Sayer in your exec chat that we'll publish this week. And uh, of course, there's a lot more from JP Morgan that you and Barnaby wrote. 
Yeah, Reed, and you also covered some companies that presented at the JP Morgan conference. So what were some of the highlights that you covered? Yeah, there were a bunch of different companies. Um, there's a couple maybe worth pointing out. So I wrote about the presentation from Abbott CEO Robert Ford, uh, not just because it's a, obviously a major company in a lot of different med tech spaces, but also because he talked specifically about COVID-19 testing, which is obviously very newsy right now. So Abbott is producing more than 100 million tests a month, um, including about 70 million of their Binex Now at home tests. Um, and they're planning to continue to grow that capacity to meet the just insatiable demand for COVID testing right now, uh, both here in the U.S. and internationally. So, of course, there's, you know, like I said, there's a lot of demand uh, due to the Omicron spike. Um, but there are also some optimistic signs that Omicron is going to soon crest and then hopefully we'll see the case numbers drop and maybe then the demand for testing will also decline. So Ford talked about that. He agreed that demand for testing is not going to continue just to uh, go up and up forever. It's going to decline at some point, hopefully soon. Um, you know, it could hardly be any higher than it is right now. Uh, but he also said that even if the overall concern about COVID-19 uh, cases and the need for testing subsides, he expects the demand for their rapid test, which is something that Abbott's had a lot of success with, will probably be sustained a lot longer, even if the demand for the molecular tests or the PCR tests starts to slide. And he said that, you know, rapid COVID-19 tests are accounting for about 40% of the company's diagnostic business right now. Uh, the way he explained it is that the value proposition, uh, including the relatively low cost and the rapid turnaround times with these tests, is just so compelling. And there will always be a need for those for a long time, as long as there's COVID out there anywhere, which is probably going to be for a very long time. And as we've covered, the government uh, is investing a lot, getting those tests to people one way or the other. And we've covered that uh, initiative as well. He also said that the, the success of the company's rapid COVID-19 diagnostics over the last two years is really helping the company's diagnostic division build a foundation for long-term growth. And they think that success can last long after the pandemic subsides, if and when that happens. Thanks for that, Reid. Were there any other companies presenting at JPM that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, we covered a whole bunch of them, but the one I'd like to highlight is a company called Inspire Medical. Inspire makes a neurostimulator implant that treats sleep apnea. First, that might sound like a drastic solution to sleep apnea, but CPAP, which is the most common device therapy for sleep apnea, has a notoriously poor compliance rate. Patients often hate the hassle and discomfort of sleeping with a mask, um, it's also been called a leaf blower, and about half of them give up on it. So implants like Inspires are getting traction because they don't require any of that hassle. Now, what's unusual about the story right now is they're starting a direct-to-consumer advertising campaign that's going to go national. Now, that's very unusual in the device space still, especially for an implant or anything that requires a specialist. Now, they were doing some local ads before to try to gin up uh, interest in this, but now they're going big. It's going to be a national TV campaign, they said, and they showed their their rough cut of their ad. And so we'll see that soon, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll see it coming into the NFL playoffs here. It's more like a drug campaign in a lot of ways. We just don't see that very often with devices. So that device has been available for a few years. So what's changed now that they decided to make this big push directly with patients? Well, a couple things they mentioned. So according to the company, the big one was that as of 2022, they have new procedure codes. So Medicare is now paying about $25,000 for this implant and the physician fee is almost $900. Uh, they also have coverage for from the major commercial payers and government payers like the VA. And that can make a huge difference to the ear, nose and throat specialists that they're relying on to 
talk to patients and implant these devices. They've also been working on making the process a lot easier. The implant procedure itself is less invasive than it used to be. Uh, they created this new Bluetooth remote control so patients can control their device more easily. They uh, contracted with another company to start a new patient advisor system uh, you know, that talks to patients remotely, and that also collects user information. They can go in the cloud. So they're just doing everything they can to make this a lot more appealing to both the patients and the doctors. Um, we'll have to see how this campaign goes. You know, Like I said, unlike our pharma colleagues, we just don't see many of these device companies working so hard to talk directly to patients or potential patients, I guess. But there are a lot of signs that this is changing and that this is not going to be the only company that has to do this. Now, how it turns out for Inspire and the other companies trying to make these sleep apnea devices um, will certainly be very interesting. And it's also going to be very interesting to see how the big CPAP device companies like ResMed, which of course makes a lot more than uh, CPAP devices, they're becoming a uh, a pretty big digital health company, and we also covered them at J.P. Morgan, respond and try to get more patients to accept CPAP, which, like I said, is just one of those things that lots of people are prescribed and a lot of people don't want to do. Thanks, Sweet. As you noted, there's a lot of interest now from device companies trying to figure out how to relate directly to patients, either through newer digital technology or older technology like TV. And we've covered that development for a while now and will continue to follow that. You can read all of Barnaby's articles on up-and-coming innovative companies, all of our J.P. Morgan coverage, and a lot more at medtechinsight.com. As Reed mentioned, there's a lot going on right now with the U.S. government trying to send out COVID tests. So with all that coverage, we've also got a, all the latest coverage of MedTech regulation and policy from the U.S., Europe, and around the world, the archive of Device Week, and the rest of Informa Pharma Intelligence podcasts are available on the Informa Pharma Intelligence channel on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Spotify Podcasts, and VR Smart Speakers, if one of these platforms has been set up as your default podcast provider. You can follow us on Twitter at medtech underscore insight. I'm medtech Marion, M-A-R-I-O-N. Reed is at medtech Reed with two E's. And Barnaby is medtech Barney, B-A-R-N-Y. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs>